We are wrapping up just a short series that we've been doing now for, I guess this will be our third week, and um, I've kind of shared how this series came about with the idea the next week we're going to do a series that's going to be looking at us living the abundant life in our Christian walks and, and how does that work and what does that take place? What is it to live that abundant life? I think we've all heard a pastor say it and we've all probably read the scripture where it speaks of living the life and living it to more abundant or and living it more abundantly. And so um, as I was planning to do that series starting, it would have been going on right now, um, I was also doing some study for the Wednesday night and Sunday night Bible studies and things, and as I was studying the idea of being a slave of Christ, reading and studying through some of Paul's writings, just kind of jumped off the page at me, and the thought of, in order for me to truly live an abundant life, I have to become, I have to succumb to who Christ is and who I am in Christ, and really what that looks like based on some of the writings and the scriptures is is as we've read and we've studied through the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 6, that we would become a slave or a servant of righteousness. And so as we've talked through this series, I've, I've mentioned one thing every single week is, you are a slave, it's just a matter of what we are slave to. We will be a slave of one of two things. We will be a slave of righteousness or we will be a slave of unrighteousness. And so we've hit on that each week Coming up to today and the idea here and what we're going to do in wrapping up this series is I hope as last week I hope was an encouragement to you and as we want to wrap up the today going into this idea of the abundant life is when we look at this idea of being a slave of Christ or being a servant if you want to look at it in that way but when we look at that thought and we look at that idea what does that do for us why why are we? Why do we say that? What is this? And, I, and, and this morning, it's more of an encouragement, hopefully, as we leave. This morning, the title of the sermon will be The Power of a New Life. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and so we'll spend some time there this morning. But as before we get into the scripture too much, when we start looking at this thought and we start, as I'm kind of wrapping up this series, it is the life of a slave, so to speak, it is that life as we give everything to him that we can and we do have access to the greatest master that is available. Um, we have a master that that provides, we have a master that, that gives us all of the things that we need. And in context of what we were looking at with this idea of slave going back to the Bible times and biblical days, um, they talked often. There was the there was the rule of law that was was for the masters, and then there was what would take place for the slave. and And so we understand that the the master itself had a had a rule of law as how they would govern, so to speak, those slaves, and they had to treat them in a certain manner and do all these different things. But when we start looking this morning, as we jump into this, there was I've had I've had the opportunity in the last three. Three months each month, I've I've actually been somewhere different in the world, and that's not by plan. That's just kind of how it worked out. But in January, I was in Israel. In February, I was in Guatemala, and then just this past week, I was in Canada. And in each one of those places, they would all be considered religious places. Israel would be one of the most religious places in the world. You've got the kind of the mecca of religion right there. You've got 
You've got Jerusalem, you've got the, the temple, the, the, the Dome of the Rock, which is one of the, the three holy places for, for Islam. You have that right there, and you've got all of these religions surrounded right in that Jerusalem, in that Israel area. I was in Guatemala, and most of those folks, they're very, um, the religion there would be more on the, the Catholicism and that, those lines of, of, of church. And then this past week, I had the opportunity, and I'll be real honest, and I've shared this with, with those that went with me, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Eckblad or Holly, as you would know her, um, Holly and uh, Charlotte uh, teach at Lake Mead Christian Academy, and as, as high school teachers, they are uh, part of what they do is they do missions trips, and so they invited me to go as a, as a chaperone, and I said, yes, I would go, that's okay, and then the Israel trip came, and it was just, uh, it made for a long month, and I a long couple months, and to be real honest, leading up to this trip, I kept telling my wife, I have no desire to go. I don't want to go. I've, I'm tired. I don't want to travel. I, I'm, I'm done with the travel thing. And I didn't want to go. And so as we went, and, and, I, and I mean this with, I've told both of these, I went literally for the, the one I said I would go. I paid the money to go. And, and I went hoping to be an encouragement to two folks that are in our church. As we got there and we, we got going, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, I knew I was going on a youth trip with teenagers. I'm thinking to myself, I've done this many, many times. That's not a problem. Um, we're doing okay. We get there and, and the thought was we were serving at a church uh, called Towers Baptist Church and we're going to help them reach people, and so that means we're going to do like a VBS, or we're going to do stuff, whatever those things would be, typical youth trips. And as we get there, I never realized the darkness of Canada. No idea. It's North America. Everybody knows Jesus. We all have heard of God, and we, we, we're in America. They're, we were, what, an hour outside of the border. It's not we're not going to like the jungles of Africa. We're an hour outside of the border. And this pastor begins to talk as he's kind of given us an orientation as to what we're going to do and why it's important for us to be there and all of those types of things. And initially, I'm not going to lie, I was just kind of like, okay, 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 I just want to, I want to go to bed. And so as he's sharing and he's talking, this gentleman has taken over a church that's been there for a number of years. I guess it would be similar to ours as far as the years. I think 40-something years that they've been in that general area. Then there was another church planter that was, we were outside of Vancouver just a little bit. There was another church planter that was just kind of in the heart of Vancouver that we were going to do some work with. And then there was another guy that was in another section, just not too, they're all kind of within a close proximity of each other. And this gentleman had been there for about six months. And and so we're going, and he's, he's sharing with us all of the things of how hard it is to reach the people. And, and I'm, again, I'm just kind of like, okay, okay, okay. It was the second day that we went to this gentleman's church in Vancouver. He's been there for four years, and he, on an average, runs 12 people. And I started to think, and it started to hit me a little bit more of where I was, because I had no idea. I'm thinking in my mind, North America, God, okay, they got it. Twelve people in four years. And we're not talking like some dude that has no idea what he's doing. 
this guy has been to school. This guy is educated. This guy knows all the statistics. This guy has studied. This, I mean, he knows what he's doing. If he were to come to the States and do exactly what he's doing, he would have a, a large congregation. And so I start to kind of pay more attention to where I'm at and start to realize that everybody around me is not North American. People from all over the world that just live in this little hub. And the following day was when it probably hit me the most. We went to two places, and some of you may be shocked that we would do this, but we went to a mosque, and we went to a Sikh temple. And we went there for educational purposes, for the kids to kind of see and to get this different spectrum. And so we're in this mosque, and this, uh, I don't remember the name, but the, the lady was kind of walking us through and literally teaching us kind of what they believe, and we would ask questions, and she would answer, and so we kind of had this dialogue. It was probably one of the highlights of my trip because of just the educational side of it, and I'm sitting there, and we're asking questions, and we're going back and forth, and, and again, all the, all the while, this topic of what I'm speaking on is kind of going through, and I'm trying to correlate a message for this morning, and, and I'm sitting in this mosque, and she's going off, and she's rattling all of these things, and basically, I looked at my thought to myself, and I did not say this because I was trying not to, I was asking questions, but trying not to be too controversial. But I'm thinking to myself, everything that she's telling me, she's taken from the Word of God, and they've just twisted it to make it their own thing. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, there, and, and the pastor was sitting right beside me, his name was Garrett, and he looked over and he said, they're blinded. By the enemy. They're just blinded. They don't see it. We look at it and we look at the Bible and we look at what they're telling and they're going, she's telling us all of the things and they're going Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they have all of the tenets of all their prophets and they're all the people that we would worship or not worship, but that we read about, that we study, that we would understand. And so we're going through all of this stuff and, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this and I'm thinking in my mind all of this, this whole process and I'm thinking through this thing and I'm This whole idea of slave of Christ is coming through my mind. The first sermon we talked about being in bondage of sin and all of those things. And I'm I'm going through this whole thing in my mind and, and it just comes back to the world is a slave of unrighteousness. The world is completely blinded to everything. I was in one of the most religious religious places that I may have ever been. There was a whole street they call it, they call it the highway to heaven. Because on every corner is a different form of religion. We were at a mosque and no joke the mosque's neighbor was a Jewish place. Now you can put those two together if you have any idea of history, that doesn't go together. They don't like each other. But beside them was a Hindu temple and then a Buddhist temple and a Sikh temple and all of these Eastern religions and all these different religions were all on this street and I'm going through my mind and I'm thinking of all these different things and I'm thinking of these pastors and what they're trying to do and I'm thinking of what I'm speaking on and we are slave of something, righteousness or unrighteousness. These people are so blinded 
by religion, blinded by good, blinded by all of these things, and they don't see it. And it all went full circle the very last night. We're sitting with all of our teenagers, and this, this Pastor Garrett, he's, he's standing up there, and he's asking us what we thought, what we learned, and all the different things. And after we got done saying what we were saying, there was a kid that was seven, 18 years old, 17 years old, I, I don't remember which. His name was Friday. I thought that was a weird name myself, but his name was Friday. Friday was probably 5'10", maybe 150 pounds, a skinny, I don't know if he was Chinese or whatever, I think he was Chinese. And Friday, Pastor Garrett had given us Friday's testimony a couple days prior to. And he was telling the kids, you guys should pray for Friday, he's a kid, he's in high school. He goes to high school of roughly a thousand kids. And Friday knows four Christians in his school. Friday was there that day. He came wherever he from China to Vancouver and didn't know English. He learned English from an Australian. So you've got a five ten Chinese guy, one hundred percent looking Chinese, with a one hundred percent Australian accent, mixed in with his Chinese accent, which is really kind of comical. But here's, here's why I say all of those things as we get into, and I, I jump into the passage of Scripture this morning. Friday probably said something that I hope will, I don't know if anybody else grabbed a hold of this, but Friday stood up and he just kind of looked at everybody and he said, I just want to thank you for coming to our country to share the gospel because people need the gospel and they don't know the gospel. And he began to cry. This is an 18-year-old kid. Began to cry in front of all of us that are there and he said, my friends need Jesus and you encourage me to share Jesus with my friends. We don't get that. I later talked to Friday and I said, Friday, I'm going to pray for you and I pray that you continue to serve the Lord and that you don't lose the fire that you have. 18 years old, one out of four kids in a thousand school or a thousand person school in the middle of Vancouver or Richmond crying that his friends need Jesus. I looked at him at the end of that thing before we walked off to get in the van. I said, these kids don't understand that. I don't understand that. We, unless you've been there, we don't get that. We don't understand that because we are blinded by Satan, by the enemy, in the world in which we live, and especially in America in which we live, where we're not worried about what's going to happen. We don't really think about all of those things. Let me share with you. Friday is a slave of Christ in the middle of Richmond, Canada. Because he got it and it's changed his life. None of our kids were crying that the gospel was being presented in Canada. They hear the gospel every single day. Most of us don't cry when the gospel is presented to somebody that may not know the gospel. 
we are blinded by the slave of unrighteousness, by Satan, because he has put blinders on our eyes. He has put blinders on the lost world's eyes. And it, as I was thinking, this whole series, maybe, it, and maybe I'm doing a bad job of wrapping it together with this, but this whole series just kind of came together in my mind in that little sentence from a Chinese, Australian-accented young kid. Because our world is a slave of unrighteousness. Though all of those people think that they're doing okay, they literally have a scale of good and bad. Well, if my good outweighs the bad, then I'm okay. If I'm good enough, then I'll be reincarnated as a better thing. If I do this, if I do that, if I don't do this or I don't do that, and as we look at all these things, the idea of a slave of Christ, we've learned in the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 6, we are no longer a slave of Christ as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what those people don't understand and that those pastors there are trying to get to them is there is hope beyond worshiping something or someone that is dead. They don't get that. And what we don't get, what I don't get, your pastor or if you're visiting the pastor that you're looking at doesn't get, is I don't like to be a slave of anything because I don't like you to tell me what to do no more than I like God to tell me what to do. If we were honest, we would all say, yeah, that's kind of me. So I don't like the term slave of Christ But that's the reality. We're either a slave of righteousness or we're a slave of unrighteousness. The great thing that we have, the hope that we have, is what we worship, what I'm able to worship. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, what you're able to worship is you worship an empty tomb. We worship God because there's an empty tomb because Jesus raised from the dead. They don't have that. Literally, the Sikh temple, they would come, they prayed, they bowed, they worshiped to this box with a book in the box that a man wrote some 14 or whatever hundred years ago or whatever the dates were, I don't know. But they literally came and people would come and they would worship a box. These different gurus who came together and wrote this book and they would come and they would bow to this. They would wave a feather over this thing. At the mosque temple, what do they worship? They don't worship a living God. We have that. None of those faiths do. They're blinded to that. And this morning as we kind of go through, and I'm going to try to get through this as quick as I can here, but... As we go to this morning, and we look, and we've kind of looked through this, and we look at, at Romans chapter 8 this morning, I'm, I'm going to kind of work my way through this entire chapter, and you're looking at me going, holy cow, 39 verses in the next 20, 30 minutes. I promise it's not gonna, I'm not going through every verse. I, that, this is about a four-week sermon in and of itself. But here's, here's the thought. We have power As a slave of Christ, I have power. As a slave of Christ, you have power. As a slave of Christ, we have something. We are worshiping the greatest master that there can be to worship. 
Again, if we go back a couple weeks and what we've talked about, being a slave, they had one basic job and one basic goal was to honor and to do what their master said to do. We as Christians should have one basic tenet. I'm going to do, I'm going to honor, I'm going to do everything I can to please my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what we're here for. If you know Christ as your Savior, as I know Christ as my Savior, I'm literally, I have one job, and that's to honor and to please my Master, my Lord. That's really what we're here for. Now, we like to put our own thing in there. What God would have me to do and the will of God for my life so that I could do this and blah, 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 blah. blah. And we kind of put our own spin on there. Believe me, I've put my spin on the call of God on my life many times. It usually doesn't work out, but I've tried it. We've all done that. Because I want to do things that I want to do. I thought when I was in college, I was on a dunk team, and we would jump off trampolines and do flips and dunk basketballs and do all kinds of crazy things, and we had a great time. I thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. If I jumped off a trampoline and did a flip and tried to dunk a basketball today, I would break everything in my body. I would die. And I go back and I look at videos today of what they're doing now and I'm like, holy cow, yeah, that ain't happening. But at that time, I thought, this is what we're going to do. Mindy, we're going to have a ministry and we're going to travel and we're going to share Jesus and we're going to go to youth rallies and we're going to do all these things and blah, 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 blah. blah. Why? Because that's what I wanted. Because it was fun to go into a gymnasium packed full of students screaming and yelling, Your name while you're jumping off a trampoline. It feels good. Not going to lie. Until you miss and then they laugh at you. But there's all of these things. You know what? There's different times in my life where I've thought I had my thing together. The call of God on Aaron's life is this, 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 and this. I'm never going to do this again. Hmm, Guess what I ended up doing? That. I'm done with this stage of my life. I'm not going back to it. Guess what I ended up doing? That. So as we look at this, as we we go through all of these things, and we look at this idea of being a slave of Christ, and as we look at it today, the idea, the, the kind of the thought as we wrap up is the power of a new life. We, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we had power. We gained something. And as we jump into verse number one, Paul is wrapping up chapter seven. And he is talking in in chapter 7 of Romans about the spiritual laws which hold the carnal Christian in bondage to sin and to self. And then in this passage we see that there's a way of escape. And I'm talking about this this thought of power just to kind of explain, I guess, using just a, a word there to explain or to give us what God has given to us. And so as we look at Romans chapter 8 and verses number or 1 through 4, as I'm going to hit here, is there is power over sin for us as Christians in our lives. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of, for the law of, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so as we look at that first little clump of verses, we see 
that there is power for us, for you and me as Christians. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, for you, if you, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a power over sin that you don't have. Before Christ, we never had that power over sin. It's our flesh. It's what I can do to say, okay, I'm strong enough not to do this thing. With Christ, now I have the Holy Spirit living in me to give me the strength, to give me the power, to let me understand I don't need those things. And so as we look at this, the very first thing it says is there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ. One of the things I did, I looked up condemnation. It says to declare to be reprehensible, wrong or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation, to pronounce guilty or convict, to sentence or to doom. To a judge unfit for use of consumption, to declare convertible to public use under the right of eminent domain. All of those things are somebody putting something on us to be declared reprehensible, wrong, evil after weighing out the evidence, to be pronounced guilty. All of those things, it says there is no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus we have a power over sin this term here it says in it says in that verse that very first verse it says for which are in Christ I don't know if you've studied or if you've ever thought of this or looked into this or any of those things but in Christ is literally it's like a little term in Christ if you were to go back to the Old Testament and kind of compare the, the, the words that are used here, if we go back to Genesis when we all pretty much know the story of Noah and the ark, and I'm not going to go through a lot of this just for the sake of time, but in Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 16, it says that the Lord shut him in. He was in. The Lord shut him in. That same exact thing is what is mentioned here in verse number 1. We are in Christ. It's the same idea, the same concept. We are in Christ. God didn't tell Noah to go build an ark, get inside of it, seal it all up, and then his family just kind of hang on for dear life. And you may have heard that kind of silly analogy. No, God had him pitch it, and he had him do all the things to make that boat float. When he got inside, God sealed it. God shut him in. We, when we are in Christ, we are literally like Noah and his family was in the ark. We are in Christ. A complete security. There is power over sin when we are in Christ. Think about this. In him, like Noah, was saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from and secure in Christ There is no condemnation. Noah was saved. What was God doing at that time? God was wiping out. God was judging. God was destroying the earth. And he said, Noah, build this ark to save and keep him secure. When we accept Jesus Christ, we're not a part of that judgment any longer because it's already been taken care of. We are now in Christ. There is no more condemnation. It says in the second verse, you have been made free from the law of sin and death. You now have life in the Spirit. You have moved into a whole new sphere, so to speak, of life in Christ. The law no longer has any jurisdiction over you or over me. You are dead to the law. It speaks of that in Romans 7 a little bit. 
that we are dead to the law. And then in verse number two, it says we are free from the law. We can look at this again, just a short illustration briefly as we continue to move on. But if we look at the idea of our life in Christ and we look at this freedom from the law, if we had a quarter and just threw it up in the air, the law of gravity is going to do what? It's going to allow it to just drop. Until what? It hits something. The law of gravity will stop when it hits the ground. The law of gravity would stop it if I caught it in my hand. When I catch it, if I were to throw it up or if it were to fall down and I were to catch that quarter or catch that whatever it was that fell, I now have more power over the law and I can basically take that because I have more power over the law of gravity because it's in my hand. We as sinful humans are a fallen creature and with that, we know through Scripture, what does that mean? There is death. And in that section, in this verse, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I am no longer. Christ died. Christ paid that penalty. Christ now holds me like I hold that quarter. And he says, you are free from those things. We're free from that. There is power over sin when we accept Jesus Christ and when we live our lives in such a manner that we become slaves of righteousness, slaves of Christ, we now have power over these things in our life. We're able to live righteous. We're able to to live not under the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of Christ in our lives. Jesus came as a man. He did not come in sinful flesh. For that would have made him a sinner. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh as a man. He bore our sins in his human body on the cross. If you look at it through the idea of the legal system, the law of double jeopardy, states that a man cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins, and since you are in Christ, God will not condemn you. You cannot be judged twice for the same crime. And so as we continue to kind of go through this, and again, I'm going to kind of go through this fairly quick, but many try to obey God in his own strength and fail to measure up to the righteousness that God demands. The Spirit-led Christian, as he yields to the Lord, experiences the sanctifying work of the Spirit in his life. We often, in our own strength, try to do things for God, but we can't. Why was it so heavy, so to speak, this week for me in front of all of those things that we did in in that type of an environment? Those are a whole group of people who are very religious, who are good, who do a lot of great things, but they're trying to do it in their own power to get to something that they can't get to. Outside of Christ, they can't attain that. We can't do enough good. We can't do any of those things. The only thing that we can do is give ourselves, yield ourselves, give it to the Lord, and then He gives us power over sin. He gives us power over death. They don't have that. They're hopeless in where they are. 
They're a slave to that unrighteousness, though they are working so hard to do so many good things. And the reality is, they're doing great things. If you were to talk to them, if I were to talk to them, we'd say, man, that's a good person. Look at all the charity. Look at how they give. Look at how they love people. Look at how they do all these things. But they do it with the blinded eye unto something that isn't even there in their own power and in their own strength. All the while thinking that they've done something that was okay. And they did. They fed the homeless. They gave clothes. They did this. They did that. They do all the things that we would do. But there's no hope. There is nothing there because they do it in their own strength and they do it for their own righteousness and they do those things. As we continue in on these, this passage of Scripture, and again, I'm not going to take, and there's so many things that we could go deeper in all of these um, different, this passage of Scripture, but it says in the next section of Scripture that there is power over the body. So we first have power over sin, then we have power over the body. In this passage of Scripture, we see a contrasting between the carnal and the spiritual. There is a contrast over the next few verses that show the power over the carnal way of thinking and a power over the body over the mind and over the members of the body or the mindset of the flesh. And so as we look at this, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And they're just a contrast throughout this, this. In verse number five, we have the contrast of the flesh and the spirit. We can't, we, we war against each other, and there's a contrast there. There's a contrast in verse number six of life and death. Carnally minded is death, spiritually minded is life. And then verses six and seven again, we've got a war with God, with peace with God. All of these things, as we look through this passage of Scripture, lead us to, we have one way of living, the carnal way, so to speak, and then you have the spiritual way of living. And when you look at the the power, when you look through those passages of Scripture, all of the carnal ways lead to one direction. They lead with one end. All of the spiritual things lead to one end or one destination. They're contrasting each other. They fight. They bash heads with one another. The carnal mind brings enmity. The carnal brings death. The carnal brings sin. The carnal brings all of those things. When you look at the the spiritual mind and we look at all of those things, we bring life. We bring peace. We bring everlasting life. We bring joy. We bring... they, They clash. In Christ... We have power over this. In Christ over here, we have the power over these things over here. But when I live here, I have nothing over here. 
When I live in this realm, when I live in this, this carnal mind, when I live in this thing over here, I have no power over this. Look at your life and you can go back to whenever you want. Maybe this was the week, maybe it was three months ago, a year ago, whatever it was. When you were at your greatest and you were at your spiritual, spiritual high, so to speak, man, we knocked sin in the face. We punched devil in the face every day. We're like, woo, look at this, bow. We don't even think about it. We get knocked down and we come over here and we're doing things and all of a sudden we're going, what am I doing? Where did this guy come from? Yesterday I was on the spiritual high of my life. And these two just war back and forth with each other. There's power over that in the Spirit of God. As we look at verse number 8, so they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We're looking here, you've got basically the war within. Pleasing self or pleasing God. I can't please God when I'm in the flesh. But in verse number 9, But ye, uh, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of, the, none of this. None of his, sorry. So we look at that, but we're no longer in the flesh. But you're in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is dwelling in me. I have power over those things. That's really what we're looking here is that's power over our mind. What is it to live in the flesh? What is it to to feel and to live that way? That's the control of my mind. I I don't have to live this way anymore. I have the Holy Spirit that dwells within me to overcome these things. I have the Holy Spirit that lives in me to not have to fall into this. I have the Holy Spirit that lives within me in my mind, in all those things. I can give that to Him and I can have power over that. I don't have to go that route. I don't have to live that way. I don't have to do those things anymore. The idea... In Christ, the idea of being a slave of righteousness in all of this as we look through this, and again, without just completely diving in, and that would take so much longer, but we have the power over those things. We have the power over our mind. In verses 10 through 13, again, as we're wrapping this up, just going through these things very quickly, but we're looking here, the dealing with power over the body, mortal and immortal, dealing specifically with the body. We understand that the bodies we live in are mortal, but the hope we talk of and have in Christ is that we know at the acceptance of Christ, the Holy Spirit became alive in our lives. At that resurrection, this body of ours will be clothed with the life, immortal as well. And we look at these things, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But in the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We have power over sin. We have power over the body. Again, 
as I was there, and I'm reading through this, and I'm thinking of this, if ye, have, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you or ye shall live. When I live my life, and I become a follower of Christ, and I give in, and I'm a slave of righteousness, and I'm doing the right thing because I have the Holy Spirit in me, I have power to overcome. Not because I have power, but because the Holy Spirit lives in me who can now give me power to do what I need to do. I, in and of myself, am a pretty worthless individual. I could stand up here and do certain things. You could stand up here and do certain things. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, none of us, we're just people that are walking and doing, going to work, making money and going back in the grave and going away. And really, that's what we are. Without accepting Christ, without the, the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling and living in us and giving that power to overcome and to do the things that we're able to do, we are no different than the people that I'm minister to or the people that I got to see in Vancouver who are every day five days or five times a day doing a ritualistic prayer every day walking into that temple and bowing down to a book that's all wrapped up and in this little case every day doing the same certain things because I got to do things to be just good enough to get myself to that next place They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to get them to the next place. Because there is no next place. It's unrighteous. It's blinded. Satan has blinded our eyes, blinded their eyes. And they don't have that. And as we wrap up, I'm going to cut this short as far as my point here, but we have power of a new life. One of the neatest sections or parts of this whole passage of Scripture to me is as you start looking into uh, verses uh, 15, 16, 17, and it's starting to talk about being an heir or uh, being a, uh, adopted into this family. For ye have now, or not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And as we look at this passage of scripture, we have power of a new life. I don't know how many of you have been around uh, maybe somebody who's uh, I'll use my children, for instance. I am the pastor of this church, and a typical children or a typical pastor's children would say something along the line, do you know who my dad is? My dad's the boss of this place. I hope my kids never do that, but you follow what I'm saying. Maybe you, are, you work with an owner who has children who would basically look at you and say, I'll do what I want. My dad owns this building, whatever that circumstance might be. 
I'll never forget when I was at, at Thomas Road Baptist Church and I was at Liberty University going to school and, and working there and they do a huge July 4th celebration and we were just, we were working and getting things set up and I happened to be standing next to, now it's um, Jonathan Falwell's the pastor and it was his son, it was his son and so at the time though Dr. Uh, Jerry Falwell was there and and somebody asked him something, and he said he was asking him to do something. And his son, the Jonathan Jr., looks at that, that guy, and he goes, Do you know who I am? And the guy looked at him and said, Yeah. He goes, My grandpa owns this place. He's like, Yeah. Do you know what? A silly illustration, I pray, I'm sure one of my kids will say something dumb like that. I pray that they don't. But we all know people that have children. That's kind of their mentality. We watch them on TV. If you watch E! or any of those dumb shows that talk about Hollywood elites. and We've got shows about rich parents and their kids who've done nothing with their lives, but they're millionaires because their parents are millionaires and they have this entitlement thing. Here's why I say that. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, in verse 15 it says, We have the, received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I can now say, Daddy. I can now look at my Heavenly Father and say, Daddy. I am now an heir of His. Listen, before that, don't really have much. When I was a youth pastor, my children would never say, well, my dad's the youth pastor. No, but now that I become a pastor, my kids will say, my dad's the pastor of this place. Do you know who he is? I can now say, and no, I'm not going to say this, but I can now kind of have that thing. When I'm a slave of Christ, do you know who my master is? Do you know who my daddy is? Do you know, do you understand that? And just like little Jonathan Jr. stood and looked at that guy and said, my grandpa owns this place. I can have that same confidence as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a slave of Christ, as a slave of righteousness, to look anybody in the eye and to kind of point at him and be proud and say, do you know who my daddy is? Do you know what I hold? Do you know the mansion that I will have? Do you understand I am now adopted. I am now an heir of Jesus Christ. I now have power in a new life. I no longer am a slave of this thing over here. I am no longer a slave to that sin. I am no longer a slave to that thing. I am now, I sit over here and when I go to eat at that table, my dinner is a whole lot different than it used to be. I'm going to close it up with this whole this thought here, and I'm kind of done with this passage. In Luke chapter 15, I believe it is, we have the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son got his money, and the prodigal son left, and he was going to do, and he was going to live life the way that he wanted to live life, and he was going to have a party, and he was going to have a ball, and he did, until what? It all ran away, and it was all gone. He spent it all. Then this Jewish boy goes to, I need something. This Jewish kid is now working at a pig farm. Feeding pigs, feeding slop, and he sits, and at one point he says, you know what, I have nothing. The 
slaves or the servant at my father's house eat better than I do. And he stops and he kind of gathers himself and he thinks to himself and he says, you know what, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, dad, I just want to be a slave under you. I've done wrong. I can no longer be your son, but I just want to be a slave under you. And I just want to kind of, I want to do what I can because that's better than what I've got over here. Listen, we have it so much better when we leave this life over here and we come over here and we say, Daddy, Daddy, I just want to be a slave. I just want to do what makes you happy. Daddy, I just want to do what would make you honorable. I've done all of these things. I don't deserve it. But if you would just allow me to be a slave and work for you. He lost everything. He gave up everything. We know the story. He goes and his dad accepts him back in. But the mindset that that boy had was basically, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to bow down. Dad, just let me come home as a slave. I don't need to be your son. I just want to be a slave. I just want to work under I just It's so much better than what I had over here. Listen, when we left this life over here and we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we left so much junk and so much filth and so much death. What if we lived our lives as a slave and just said, Daddy, Abba, Father, I now have power that I never had before. I don't have to do that anymore. Daddy, I just want to work for you. As we wrap this up, this whole sermon, short sermon series going into next week, looking at the idea of the abundant life, if I want to live an abundant life, he had the abundant, looking at that story, that kid had the abundant life. His dad said, here you go, here's all your stuff, go live it. He wasted every bit of it. And what did he want? All he wanted to do was come back and be a slave. I had everything and I, I blew it. Dad, I know you cannot accept me as your son again, but just let me be a slave. We know what his dad said. No, son, he came and he greeted him. He hugged him. He provided a meal. He had a party. He had all these things. My son came home. But as we look at that thought, as we look at all of those things and we go, I just want to be a slave to my dad. I just want to worship you. I just want to honor you. I have a new power that I never had before. Church, I get and I understand that some of this thought was kind of, I don't want to say it was repetitious, but it was kind of the same theme just three weeks in a row of, of really that thought of leaving this life and then accepting this slave life of righteousness. And then this week, just kind of, we have the power, go do it. I can be proud to say, that is my father. I can be proud and say, man, I'm an heir of him. Can I ask you, as we close, do you live your life with that power? Do you live your life like the prodigal son got himself to the point of I just want to be a slave in my father's kingdom. 
All I want to do is just worship you. All I want to do is honor you. I don't need to have your last name. I don't need any of those things. And we're blessed that he gives it to us. But do we just bow down and say, that's all I want. I just want to worship you. Don't give me a title. Don't give me anything. Just let me bow. If you just let me serve you, I don't need anything else. Is that where we are? Church, is that where we are? 